Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today we're going to pick it up, and this is part eight of our series through the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And uh, yeah, part eight, and we're barely into chapter two. There are six chapters, so that kind of gives you an idea of the pace that I'm going at. Uh, We'll be done whenever we're done. But uh, if you're taking notes, this morning the title of my message is very simply this. There it is. Uh, Well, there it it is. Uh, But God. Can y'all say that with me? But but, but God, yeah. And so uh, I'm going to unpack... Really, we're going to look at about seven verses in chapter two. But uh, before we get to the text, can we just bow our heads and let's pray? Let's ask for God's help. Father, thank you so much for your presence here. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace toward us who believe. And right now in your presence, Lord, we, we thank you that you're, you're good. You're good. You're good and you can only do good. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises that are all yes and amen. And and Lord, thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing right now, for the fresh touch of heaven that is upon us. And Lord, this morning I pray as we even go into the afternoon that you would revive us, that you would refresh us. And can we lift our hands right now just to the Lord, just as a sign of surrender? Or we lift our, our hands as a sign of surrender. And, and with your, your eyes closed and your hands lifted, here, here's the word of the Lord for us, I believe, in this season. No hype, just depth. No hype, just depth. We don't need to hype anything up. Lord, your word is sufficient as it is. Better than we could ever articulate. Lord, we rely on your word. We thank you for your spirit. Hype comes and it goes, but your spirit and your truth remain forever. And so, Lord, we extend our hands to you as a sign of surrender. No hype, just depth. Deep experiences in you. Deeper revelation of you. Lord, I pray that we, as the people of God, would go deeper than ever before. And Lord, I'm praying that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and our knowledge of you, Lord, because we want to know you better. We want to know you more. And so, Lord, right now, I pray in this place that you would awaken us, that you would stir us. Or for those who've been asleep spiritually, I pray for an awakening. Or for those of us who who have been cold Saved, yes. Born again, yes. But cold, cold to you. Cold to the things of God. Just indifferent. Lord, I pray for an awakening today by the Spirit. Lord, and I pray that you would do signs and wonders and miracles in us. In us. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. We give you all the thanks and we give you all the praise. It's in Jesus' awesome name. Everyone said. Amen. All right. Amen. Well, as we get into the text this morning, I want to, actually, I want to go back just a little bit 
Before we get into chapter 2, I want to go back to chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 18, and we're going to read through verse 23. Because just as you've heard us preach over the last couple of Sundays, there, there were three things. Everybody say three things. There are three things that Paul wanted the Ephesians to know. And by know, we're not talking about like just head knowledge, right? I mean, it's nothing less than that. You've got to understand in your mind, but it's more than that. Paul wanted them, and by extension, God would want us to know, meaning intellectually, yes, but personally and experientially, he wants us to know he wants us to know three things, and let's, let's just do a little recap here and catch up on what those things involve. Um, Paul prayed that, that the Ephesians, and now lean in on this, this is for us too, that they would know, that we would know what is the hope to which God has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And here's the key, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Toward us who believe, according to, say it with me, the working of his great what? Of his great might, of God's great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his, that's Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now that's heavy, isn't it? A lot of truth packed into those verses. But as I read this passage, I'm reminded of, well, the fact that Resurrection Sunday's coming. Uh, we, you know, culture calls it Easter. We call it Resurrection Sunday. Are y'all looking forward to that? Yes. And I, lo I love this time of year. I love springtime. Came a little early. Now, how many of y'all are out working in the yard this weekend? Like, sun's out. Like, you did some yard work. You went to Home Depot, went to Lowe's, got some plants. Let, let me just help y'all. Y'all know it was beautiful. And it's going to be this week, but a big old Cajun cold front's going to come and just wipe it all out, right? Okay, okay, just make sure we're clear. Just remind y'all. Uh, it's a little tease. The weather's nice, but it's going to get freezing. There's going to be a frost. It's all going to be decimated. All right, praise God. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but I do love springtime. Y'all love spring? It's my, it's my favorite time of year. I love the green. I love the, when the grass grows. As y'all know, we, we just moved. We, we've been like the Israelites for the last uh, almost two years, moving from place to place, not because of our sin, but because we sold our house, <laughs> okay? And so we've lived in rentals. We actually lived in a hotel last summer for a couple of weeks. Like, we were on a journey. Well, finally, we got settled in our home. Um, that's why we weren't here last Sunday. I hate missing church, but like, we had to get moved, and we had people come and help. And y'all know, moving is one thing, but... Unpacking boxes is like Amen. the devil, right? So uh, we, we've been at work. My wife, my beautiful wife right there, she's done just an amazing job. Thank you all who came to help us move. Uh, but I, I, lo I love our home. Now I have a, a yard that's actually mine, and I get out there. And see, I grew up in Tennessee, and I grew up working on a farm. Like I painted fences, uh, weeded, you know, miles of fence rows, you know, worked like in the open, worked, had a big John Deere um, back in the day that wasn't mine personally, but the people I worked for. And I just, I love doing, I hate to be stereotypical, but man work. 
But ladies, y'all can do that work too, can't you? Doesn't mean you like to, but you can, right? But uh, it's been years since I've been able to like really get into yard work. So I, this last week, you know, I got up in the morning, read my Bible, and there was a chainsaw on the back porch that somebody let me borrow, and I couldn't help myself but to get that chainsaw. And like I'm trimming trees in the morning, like got with God, read the Psalms, and I'm like I'm up in the tree trimming trimming limbs, weed eating, cutting the grass, and like I'm just covered in grass. I'm like this is amazing, you know. <laughs> It just covered in sawdust, you know. And so, um, but I just, the, the weather was so awesome yesterday. It's really awesome today, isn't it? Yes. Don't y'all love this time of year? Yes. Again, it's not going to last, but here, here it is for a while. And so I love, I love the springtime. And I really love, I love Resurrection Sunday. It's coming. We're going to celebrate Jesus' mighty resurrection from the dead. And we're going to have three services. Our last service here was packed. I mean, it was all the way across. We're going to add a service. We're going to have an 8 a.m. service, which y'all know means something very important. Who, who wants to take a stab at what that means? It's, uh, it's a little dangerous to have an 8, 8, an 8 a.m. service. Why is that? Because I, I am on a short leash, and I have to preach a 25-minute sermon. So the miracle is, well, Jesus rose from death. The miracle year to year is that I only preached 25 minutes. I did, I did it last year and pulled it off to the glory of God. But we're going to have an 8, 9, because we have that one hour, 8, 9, then 11. And I want you all to be thinking about who you're going to invite to, well, any Sunday, right? But uh, especially that Sunday, because I believe that Sunday uh, I'm going to preach the gospel like a man from another planet, and people are going to get raised from their spiritual graves. So raise your hand if you know someone who's lost. Don't point in this room, but raise your hand if you know someone that's, that's lost and needs Jesus. I said the first service, only like, I don't know, 15 out, hands out of, you know, how, what, 400 or whatever went up. And I'm like, y'all need to get to know some lost people. And by that, I mean, how many of y'all know Jesus was a friend of sinners? He didn't sin with them, of course, but he did sit with them and he ministered to them. So if you don't have any quote-unquote lost friends, uh, get to know them and, hey, love on them. Invite them to church because I believe on Resurrection Sunday, God is going to do an incredible work bringing them from spiritual death into spiritual life. Y'all believe God can do that? He did it for you, didn't he? He did it for you so he can do it. And again, you can invite them. I hope you invite them any Sunday, but especially uh, Resurrection Sunday is coming up. So with that in mind, when we celebrate, you know, springtime, but in particular, Jesus' resurrection from the dead, well, we're, we're, we're doing just that, right? Think, think about what I just said. We are celebrating the fact that God raised a dead man, like totally dead, raised him to newness of life. Like, think about, what, think about what I just said. Do y'all believe that? Now, think about what I just said and what you believe, God raised Jesus, the Messiah, from death. What an enormous claim, huh? Like I said, that's a big deal. And, you know, at this time of year, we, we really focus in on that truth, and rightly so. But in this passage that we just read, he highlights the fact, Paul highlights the fact that God, yes, raised Christ from the dead, but that same power that raised him was also at work and somehow mysteriously seated Christ in the heavenly places far above all rule, authority, power, far above all dominion, far above every name that can be named. Jesus is seated. So we celebrate the fact that he was raised, but don't forget, Jesus was raised, but he's seated right now above every enemy you will ever face. He's seated above it. All right? Think about that for a second. 
He is seated. So we, we say this. We say things like, well, Jesus, I invited Jesus into my heart. And I, I know what people mean by that. But technically, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is seated right now in the heavenly places at the right hand of God the Father. And yes, of course, he dwells in us. He's with us by the Spirit. But technically, Jesus is ruling and he is reigning and all things have been placed under his feet. Okay, so we serve this, this huge Jesus, this powerful Jesus. And we're told in this passage that I just read that, that, that God exerted power in that grave and raised him. Now, we celebrate that, don't we? Yes. yes. And, and, and how many of y'all are thankful for that? Yes. But I think if we're honest, I think sometimes we read that and we're like, okay, that's amazing. And I know how that relates in some fashion, but, but really, I think maybe you struggle going, okay, but what does that have to do like with me Like as I sit here today? Like Christ is seated there, but I'm sitting here in Midtown. <laughs> what does that have to do with me? Maybe you're asking that in your head, in your heart. Maybe you're not you know, consciously thinking, but thinking it, but it's, it's there, that, that, that question. And, and as we really think about it, you know, Jesus, of course, was raised from the grave, but if we're honest, some of us had a hard time rising from our bed today, you know? <laughs> it's like, you talk about that power, and it's like, it's amazing. It preaches well. It preaches great. But, but maybe you're here going, you know what, Pastor Scott, that's great, but you know, I'm just an average Christian, you know, I'm just kind of getting about, you know, my business and the affairs of my life as best I can, and, you know, I don't really consider myself as that powerful, or I'm just, just an average Christian. Maybe, maybe you're thinking that. Well, well, Paul says that that same power, watch, that raised Christ and that seated Christ is available to everyone here who believes right now. Again, it preaches great, doesn't it? But like, what do you do with that? Because again, maybe you're asking, like, I had a hard time getting out of bed today. I had a hard time going through last week, but we're talking about all this power that's available to us. I think sometimes we, well, we have this disconnect, don't we, between like where we are and where the text is. Like there's sometimes a disconnect. Raise your hand if you ever feel that way. Just be honest. Like sometimes there's a disconnect. You're like, that's amazing. I believe it. But what does that mean for me? Well, you're not alone. Because I think the Ephesians probably felt the same way. And that's why backing it up, Paul prayed that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in their knowledge of him. Already having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, Paul prayed that they would know these truths, what I just said, that they would know these truths and not just know them here, but to know those truths to an extent that, that they actually experience those truths. So God doesn't want you just to hear the word coming out of my mouth. He wants you to hear it, believe it, and then live in light of it. Every day of your life, while you're at work, while you're in the backyard running the chainsaw, while you are out at the store, especially when you're out in culture and you're out doing the work of God, listen, he wants you to be reminded of this fact that there is a power available to you that gives life to you. But, but, but see, here's the problem. A lot of us, we're not walking in the power. If we're honest, I want to ask you to raise your hand. But a lot of us are... We're not walking in that power. Why? Well, it's not because you're bad people. It's probably because you weren't aware of the fact that you even have access to that kind of power. 
See, I was raised in a church tradition. I respect it in many ways. But as I remember, as I reflect back, I mean, I don't remember many, if any, walking in resurrection power in their day-to-day lives. I saw some religious stuff happen at church on a Sunday. I saw some good things happen there and beyond that in cases. But, but I did not see believers walking in resurrection power in their day-to-day lives. And I, I think y'all get this. Christianity is not about just a day. Thank God for the Lord's Day. Thank God for when we come together and worship. But y'all understand, Christianity, it involves Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we're able to live in power those days because of what happened on Resurrection Sunday. See, what Christ did on Sunday, and we can back it up to Friday, it's all connected, huh? Gives us life and gives us energy and gives us perspective and and all that we need for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all the way through. Are y'all tracking? Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down today? So it's it's supposed to affect every area of our lives, and that doesn't mean you don't get down. How many of y'all get down? How many of y'all get stressed out? Boy, y'all are a holy bunch, like 90 of y'all. Raise your hand if you get stressed out. Sometimes you get overcome by the world. Right, like I get down. I do. I get grumpy. Y'all ever get grumpy? Yes. The other day, Kevin was like, you're just grumpy. I'm like, I'm sorry, baby. You're right. I'm being grumpy. Y'all ever get grumpy? Yes. Listen, I get down. But when I think about the promises of God, I get down, but I can't stay down. Because God has called me to a higher life. He's called you to a higher life. We are to think differently. We are to act differently. We are to process the world differently. We are to process our lives differently because of what Jesus did on that Sunday. Because of what God did in him on that Sunday. So y'all are with me, aren't you? Are are y'all getting this? Okay, so when we think about this truth that the the same power that raised Christ and seated him is at work in us, well, that is a game changer once you come to truly know it. But as I'm reading the text, I'm like, okay, uh, I don't know everything the Ephesians were thinking. We have to reconstruct this the best we can, read between the lines, do the best we can to make sense of it. But it's almost like, like Paul made his point in verses 18 to 23 in chapter 1, but then it's like Paul continued, and y'all know there were no numbers. There was no like, okay, Paul wrote a 2, chapter 2. There were no numbers when he wrote. It was just he continued on. And it's like as he continued on into what we call chapter 2, it's like, okay, he really wanted to illustrate just how powerless we were in order to highlight just how powerful we now are in light of God and what he did for us. And and I'm going to read you. Here here is the Caleb verse of the day. Are y'all ready? (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2, actually, it's it's verses 1 through 3. Are y'all ready? This is, I mean, this is the encouraging verse. You can put, put this on the refrigerator. Let it be the verse of the day for as many days as you want. And here's what Paul said, just being super honest with the Ephesians. He says, and you, everybody say, and you. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Here it comes among whom we all once lived. Now, that's in Paul's day, but that's also by extension, everybody. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And notice this. 
and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, it bothers me when preachers skip this. Now, as I think about this passage, I mean, it's, it's a hard one. And I think as other preachers think about it, they know it's a hard one. And there's nothing in me at all that wants to be like, man, I'm just going to show up to Midtown. I'm just going to hammer people with truth because I love telling people who they are and telling them. There's nothing in me that wants to do that. So my name is Scott, and I am totally your friend. And because I'm your friend, I'm going to preach the truth, the whole truth, all the truth. So literally, so help me, God. I stand in God's presence and God forbid I'd be prideful about this, like, like, I'm, like I'm the only one. I'm not, of course, I'm not the only one preaching. The, I'm just saying, this, this is easy to skip over because there are many who don't want to upset. Some preachers don't want to upset their audience. They want to keep people. And trust me, I want, I, want, I want to keep you too. But ultimately, I don't keep you. Jesus keeps you. This is not my church. It's his. And so my responsibility is to give you the truth, and then I just love you and connect with you. I'm in this with you together, and then God does what he does. So can, can we do that? Yes. I'm going to do it anyway, but I just want you to feel a part of this. <laughs> he says, look, in you, you were what? Dead. Dead in what? In the trespasses and what? In sins. Notice the tense. You were, Ephesians, you were this. You were this. Now, the language is strong. Okay, let's make it personal. Corporately, we were not asleep spiritually. We were not sleepwalking. You know, revival is something happening right now across America. How many of y'all are thankful for that? And we see reports of it everywhere. But, but just to keep it all straight, revival is something that, that happens in the church for believers who've fallen asleep. What Paul is writing about in Ephesians 2 is a work of resurrection. We were not asleep by nature. We were dead. Dead. There was no spiritual life in us. We were born into this world. Pardon the, the imagery, but this is it. We were born spiritually stillborn. There was no spiritual pulse. Like we had a physical pulse, of course, but no, no spiritual pulse. And this does not mean that all of us were born into this world and became as bad as we all could be. It just means by nature. Everybody say, by nature. By nature. By nature. We are born alienated from God. We are born separated from him. And that's why Jesus says we must be born again. Yeah. And so we're born into this world cute and cuddly. And there are a lot of great things to say. We're made, we're created in the image of God. One million percent. But Paul teaches clearly that we were born into this world, and we are, we are, as we grow up, the sin within us manifests in our lives. We are dead. We're dead in trespasses, dead in sins. And he says that this is how we once walked. Now, there are no exceptions to this, okay? This involves all humanity, Jews, Gentiles, all categories. Everyone fits within this paradigm. We were all dead people walking. Alive, of course, physically, but dead to God spiritually. Y'all remember those days? And it's like, it can be a little confusing because, well, you can think, but I did some good things. Perhaps you did. 
But apart from Christ and the regenerating work of the Spirit, even the good things that you do, if they're not for the glory of God and for the right reasons, are still right things, wrong reason. You with me? And when you do a good thing apart from Christ, it's because of the grace of God, the common grace of God that's just at work in the world, keeping the world on track so we don't all kill each other. Right? right. There's a common grace on, on, on us. But when we think about this, I mean, it's, this is strong language. This is really tough stuff. But we were w- the walking dead, spiritually, alienated, far away, no spiritual pulse, no ability on our own to come to God because dead people can't make themselves come to life. Does that make sense? Y'all know a dead person that's ever made himself or herself come to life except Jesus? You know, I love the story of the resurrection because how many of y'all are afraid of death? Like, like how many of y'all are looking forward to dying? Just be honest, no one. Okay, you're, you're thankful for what's on the other side, aren't you? But people say, are you scared of dying, Pastor God? I'm like, well, ultimately no, but kind of Yes. And they're like, well, why is that? And I say, well, because I've never done that before. (laughs) (laughs) But how many of y'all know we serve the one, Jesus, who died and lived to tell about it? (laughs) And if he says there's nothing to fear, then we should not fear. So besides Jesus, I mean, here we are in the spiritual sense. No one can bring himself or herself to, to, to life in the physical. No one can do that spiritually. I'm just building this. I'm building this as Paul has built it. I'm just unpacking it for us. Let's get more specific. So you have a great understanding of who you were. Paul says that they were, and by extension, we were dead in trespasses and sins. And he says that they followed the course of this world. The course, everybody say with me, the course course. of what? Of this world. Now, can I teach y'all for just a bit? Are y'all okay with that? Now, now watch this. I'm going to go slowly, and I want to make this as clear as I can. The term world, well, it means different things in different contexts. So like in John 3, 16, you know the one Tim Tebow wrote. (laughs) He didn't write it. The one he's so familiar uh, for for speaking and preaching. John John 3, 16, what does it say? For God so, there's a cheat sheet right here. For God so what? Love the world that what did he do? He gave his only son. Okay, so stop right there. For God so did what? He so what? Loved the world. Okay, stop right there. In this context, world means humanity at large. Sinful, fallen, dark people, even though that's the case of who we were, God still loves the world so much that whoever believes in the sent son will have eternal life. Good news, right? Okay, that's clear enough, the world. Not, not the dirt ball. I mean, we live on it, right, called planet Earth, but the world, humanity at large, okay? So, so clearly here, God loves the world, right? You see it? But then in 1 John 2, well, we see something a little bit different. Um, in verse 15, John, <laughs> he says this, do not love what? The world. the world or the things. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father say, God is not in him. Okay, what does that involve? Verse 16, for all that is in the world. What is that? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions. It's not from the Father, not from God, but from, from where? From the world. Now, world 
in Greek, cosmos, the term means different things, different contexts. In, in, in John 3.16, world means humanity at large, fallen humanity at large. But here, world means something different. Here, the world, the ways of the world, not loving the world, means not loving the sinful, satanic, rebellious ways of the world. And they're not just like out there. They're the ways of the people within the world generated by them. Sinful thoughts generate sinful actions. How many of y'all know oftentimes your beliefs drive your behaviors? So if you believe a lie, then you're going to what? You're going to live the lie. If you truly believe a lie, you're going to live the lie. And so the world in this context in 1 John 2, he's referring to... The, the evil, the sin, the rebellion, these desires from within, but by extension, also all of it from without, the fallen, broken, sinful, satanic ways of life. That's what John is referring to in 1 John 2, and that is at least in part of what Paul is referring to in Ephesians 2. So Paul says that we once did what? Well, we once walked what? Following the course of this cosmos, this what? This world. So we are dead in sin. And then because we are dead in sin, because of our, our nature is inclined to these things, then there is a course that we walk on. We don't get up in the morning apart from Christ and be like, okay, well, I am a dead, fallen, broken sinner. And today I'm choosing the course of this. We're not thinking that way. But listen, y'all, this is the scary thing. By nature, that's exactly what we do. We follow the course of of this world, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life, the pride of what we can have and what we can do, all of that satanic pride. Look, y'all, Paul's trying to help us see it's just who we are. And I love that Paul tells us the truth. You know, I had people in my life over the years that would just lie to me just to say stuff. Y'all know people that just talk, just hear themselves talk, and like they're, or they're trying, to be, they're trying to be positive. But I, listen, I don't need someone to be overly negative. I just need somebody to tell me the truth. And when you read the Bible, you've got a man, you've got Paul and you've got others who are telling us the truth because they're inspired by God to deliver the truth to us. How many of y'all just want to know the truth? Just give me the truth. I'll deal with it emotionally. Just give me the truth. Don't lie to me. Paul's being super honest. He wants them to know how powerless they were so that they can draw the contrast of now, because of God's power, how powerful now, in light of God, they are. Powerless to powerful. Are y'all tracking? Yeah. He's not done. Paul says that they, and this is us, just put yourself in the story. They followed the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sun's of disobedience. Now let's be honest. You get up in the morning and you're reading your devotional, done with that, you have your coffee, read your verse of the day. It happens to be this. What do you do with that? Well, you read it in context. And you read it as it should be read with all the truth of the word of God in mind. The prince, Paul writes here about the prince of the power of the air. 
Who is that? What do you do with that in your devotional time in the morning? What do I do with that now as I stand before you? Well, I connect dots. And what we see in Scripture is that the prince that Paul speaks of here is Satan, the devil. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul calls him the God of this world. But there's just one God, right? So uh, uppercase G, that's the God we serve. Then there's lowercase g, God. Satan, the devil, is the God of this world. In John 14, 30, he's the ruler of this world, the ruler of this cosmos. Are you getting the picture? And so there's one God, truly one God, but there is some authority Some authority is given to the lowercase God of this world, the ruler of this world. We know him as Satan. We know him as the devil. And we know him as, according to Paul, he's the prince of the power of the air. Now, I think this makes sense, but just to remind you, uh, every prince has some what? Power. Every prince has some power. Satan does not have ultimate power, but he has some. And somehow, someway, mysteriously, God has put the devil on the short leash and he's allowed the devil to do some awful things in this world. Somehow, someway, God has ordained that that happened so that in the end he can defeat it and get glory for himself somehow, someway. But listen, Satan and God are not co-equals duking it out. We're not like sitting back going like, hey, I wonder who's going to win. God, it doesn't look too good. No, listen, I don't get too upset because of what I read on the First, uh, the front page of the newspaper, because I've read the last pages of the Bible, and the scriptures are super clear that, 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 listen, God just uses Satan toward his ends, okay? And how that works out, that's another series one day. But what I want you to see is that every prince has power, and for a time, Satan He's the prince of the power of the air, and he's got some power, and he's got some authority. He has some real influence to do some really awful stuff. Now, what, is, what does it mean that he's the prince of the power of the air? Air, okay, what does that mean? Well, you know, we feel, does it feel okay here to y'all? Too hot, too cold, is it okay? Yes. All right. The air, the temperature, we, we, feel, we feel the temperature in the room. We think about the air. Uh, when I lived in Phoenix, um, it was super smoggy and dust in the air. Uh, we think about pollen now in the air. We, th- we think about the air in just natural terms. Paul uses this term to speak of Satan as the prince of the power of the air. What is the air that he's referring to? Well, Frank Thillman, a great uh, commentator on the book of Ephesians, he, he points out that the ancients, they believe, many of them believe that the air was the, the realm just below the moon and that, that realm just above the earth. So it's that space We call the heavens. We look up, we call it the heavenly places, the the space. In that space, according to Paul, watch y'all, don't miss this. It looks empty, except for, you know, the clouds and, you know, we see planets and stars up higher. But the air, this realm, it's, well, see-through, isn't it? We see through the air, and it looks like, well, all we can see is what we can see with our eyes, But Paul wants us to see, he wants us to know that there's more there than what our eyes can see. 
There is a, a, a spatial realm here going up, and it's not just spatial, watch, it's spiritual. And there is more going on, like as, as I look at y'all, and y'all look amazing. But there's more than what I can see as I look at you. There's more than what you can see as you look at me. There's more around us in our culture than our eyes can see. And Paul is out to show that there's the prince of the power of the air. His name is Satan. We call him the devil. And he's at work somehow, some way, in that realm, exerting his influence over the world. And so for a while, he's got some power and he's got some authority. So let me ask you all this question. Have y'all ever been into a place where like a city or a home or you name it, you walked in and you could feel evil in the air? Let me see your hands. Excuse me. I've been to cities and I was like, oh my gosh, I feel the evil. I've been into homes and sat before good-looking couples, good-looking people, in beautiful homes, beautiful people, with beautiful things all around. But in that beautiful home with those beautiful people, felt a very ugly presence at work in that beautiful couple. Y'all with me? And we don't want to build our theology on what we feel, but you can feel it if you have spiritual sensitivity. If you've been made alive by the Spirit... And you have spiritual discernment. And sometimes even if you don't, there are people in common grace who can just say, man, it feels evil. Feels evil. Listen, y'all. There is more to what you're facing than what your eyes can see. And Paul says that he refers to the prince of the power of the air. And there's a spirit at work in that realm and it's not just something that we feel, it's something that we can see. But, but what, what, Pascal, you just said we can't see. We can't see it. Well, you can't necessarily see the evil spirits, but you can certainly see the effects of where they are and where they've been. So you can see that evil as that, work, as that evil work is manifest in and through people. And Paul, Paul calls us all the sons of disobedience who were in one way or another, somehow, some way, we willfully did what was wrong, willfully sinned, were dead in our sins and trespasses. But at the same time, there's this evil at work, not just within us, but there's evil at work around us. Martin Luther, the reformer, referred to the flesh, the world, and the devil. We've got the flesh, the world, and the devil. We've got all of that, if you will, working against us, working against our relationship with God. And so, listen, this is the air that we breathe, so to speak. Listen, evil is the air that we breathe, let's just make it local, in America, in our own communities. It is the natural, most Adamic thing to do, to experience, to be, to be evil, to be, to be God-opposing. Like, it, it comes in us. It's working through us, thanks to Adam. Like, we're all born with this problem. But then we have all the influence, the, the evil around us to reinforce it. Are y'all getting the picture? Has anybody ever preached this to you? 
Well, let me do it now. This is who we were. And this is who people who don't know God presently are. Dead in sin, dead in trespasses, following the course of this world and under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. What? That's heavy. The air and the prince that dominates it is characterized by rebellion against God, the creator. Do y'all remember the movie, um, The Exorcist? Did y'all ever see that? Yeah. Uh, the Exorcism of Emily Rose, stuff like that. Raise your hand if you've ever seen an exorcist type of movie. And, you know, they freak us out, don't they? Because, you know, the heads twist and there's contortion and all that. Well, I've been a part of an exorcism before, and demonic possession can do all kinds of, manifest all kinds of crazy ways. But make no mistake, a contortion or a head spinning, that's one thing. The essence of Satanism in satanic manifestation is not a twisting head or rolling eyes. It's direct rebellion to the word of God. And the devil masquerades as an angel of light. He doesn't show up going, hey, I'm the devil. Can I destroy your life? Can I, hi, my name's Satan. Can I destroy your life? He masquerades as a what? Angel of light. He's at work deceiving people in the world who are already doing the works of the world. They're already, I mean, easy, we're, we're easy targets. And he shows up in his, I don't even, metaphysically, I don't even get how it all works. All I know is that Satan is at work in the air. There's sin at work in us apart from Christ. And look, as you look out in culture, every organization, every religious system, every single network, every single person, every single group that opposes God's word is under satanic influence. And see, in the church, we've gotten way too nice. And part of it is, well, we don't want to, we don't want to be mean, right? I mean, who wants to be mean? Like, I don't show up and I'm like, I'm going to write a sermon to see how many people I can tell off. I never do that. I write my sermons in the fear of God, knowing that I was on the way to hell myself. Okay. I'm not looking for anybody to tell off. But I am called to stand on the truth, and so are you. Every ideology, every organization, you say, which one? It doesn't matter which one. Everyone, if you're to take what they believe and then hold up the word of God and compare and contrast, every system, every person, every group, every government, every political party or things within the party, whoever it is, take it, analyze it, and then compare it to the word. Every single organization, religious system, Every single one that does not line up with the word of God is under the influence of satanic power. But we're too nice to call it that. You know, there comes that time you just got to, you, you have to call it what it is. It's rebellion against our creator. Call it what it is in love. In love, call it what it is. The essence of Satanism 
and of satanic manifestation is not merely the twisting of a head or the rolling of the eyes. It's rebellion against God's word. And it is manifested all around us. And we sometimes are going, well, that's just people's opinions. I mean, we have to respect people's opinions. Well, we want to be nice and we want to be respectful. But there's no real neutral ground in this fight that we're in, y'all. I mean, pick your carpet. I mean, that's a neutral, I mean, neutral carpet, neutral this. I'm neutral in this. I'm ne- be neutral. You can be neutral in some things in this world. But when it comes to good and evil, there's no middle neutral ground. It's either good or it's evil. It's right or it's wrong. And we don't come up with that to be religious fundamentalists. We are those who just come under the authority of the word of God and we link arms with all the faithful who come before all the way back to the greats, all the way back to Paul himself, and ultimately back to God, right? And so Jesus, help us be super compassionate toward everybody that's lost and confused and held in the grip of of satanic influence. Jesus, help, help us. Lord, help us when we're ministering to people. Help us make them feel the love from the words we speak to the posture we maintain. Help us, Jesus. Amen. The prince of the power of the air. He's at work. And this is all of humanity apart from God. We all were the sons of disobedience. And Paul says, by nature, the children of wrath. Not the children of God by nature, but children of wrath. Now that's heavy, isn't it? Are y'all okay with me going slow with this? Okay. Let that rest on you for just, that's heavy. But that's the truth. And you didn't have, I didn't have a bit of spiritual power to overcome all that nonsense on our own. See, that's why when you really get the gospel, there's like zero boasting in your ability. I'm a Christian, not because like I decided in my own, like I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to be spiritual. I'm going to love Jesus. Y'all, I was, as they say in Tennessee, dead as a doornail, spiritually, dead. In some parts of Tennessee that I used to visit, they spelled that D-E-D, dead. Uh, (laughs) There was nothing in me that could generate life to come out of that state. But God, but God had the power to raise me and to raise you. And that's why our boasting is in the cross. Our boasting is in the power of God to bring us from our spiritual tombs into newness of life. And so Paul goes on to say, we'll begin to begin to begin to begin to transition to the end now. He says in Ephesians 2, verse 4. Here it is. Say it with me. But God. Being what? Because of the what? Because the great love with which he what? Loved us. 
Verse 5, even what? When we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been, by his unmerited favor, we have been saved. Isn't that powerful? Because God was rich in mercy. You can say it this way, because he was rich in compassion. He saw us in our miserable condition that was self-chosen, so that it's, yeah, it's generated from within, but it's also, so we, we are all victims in a sense, but we all, watch this, y'all, we all, because of the sin within us, contribute to the madness of the world. Every single one of us, apart from Christ, we contributed to the brokenness of this world. Didn't you? Some of you more than others. <laughs> But this is who we were, but, but, but God seeing us in our plight, he could have left us there. He could have, he could have said, I, I'm going to leave them in that course, and we would have continued that course, watch, straight into hell. And he would have been totally just to let us go, that course. But God, being rich in mercy, rich in compassion, because of his great love, God sent Jesus to rescue us. So as to get us off that course, to get us on a new course, away from death, away from destruction, to eternal life. And in it. You know, if you, eternal life is not just something to come. If you are born again, you have it now. Your body will die, but you are very much alive, aren't you? You have eternal life right now. And so Paul, Paul says, he says, because of his, his richness, the richness of his mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were this way, even when we were dead, well, Paul says that God did three things for you, for me. And of course, he's writing directly to them. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing is this, God made us alive together with Christ. <laughs> yeah, so check it out. Whatever Christ does, we do. Wherever Christ goes, we also, we go there. Wherever Christ is, there we are also, according to Paul. Whatever happened to Christ also happens to you when you become born again. So, so you are dead. Dead in trespasses, dead in sin. And then because of God's great mercy, because of his great love, because of his rich compassion, because of his nature, you being dead in that predicament, unable to come to life, God exercised his power on your behalf. And when you became a Christian, you probably didn't even know this, but God performed a spiritual resurrection from your grave. And you thought it was just you raising your hand, going to heaven. What? <laughs> like when you say yes to Jesus and you repent of your sin. Do y'all understand what a miracle that is? Yeah. Do you understand you had no power to ever do that on your own? Yeah. I mean, think, think about this, y'all. Get in this with me emotionally. Am I in your personal space? I'm sorry. Listen, think about this. You're in church today. Just, just that in itself is a miracle, <laughs> Right? Yes. The fact I'm preaching to you today, I promise, is a miracle. But how many of y'all know that's what God does? He raises the dead. 
It takes the least likely, those at the end, it makes them in the first, takes the first, pushes them to the end, excuse me, excuse me. And then we, by grace, come to the front. And he uses us. But think about it. You're here, maybe because somebody dragged you here, but most of you are here because you're alive. Spiritually. You're alive. And it's all God's doing. And Paul wants you to know it and never forget it. You're alive. Awakened from your tomb. Literally, spiritually, resurrected. Not asleep. Resurrected from death. Now, don't fall asleep on me while I'm preaching. Listen, if you fall asleep during this, you had a long night. I can't help you. I'm almost done. Watch, watch, watch. So, you've been raised with Christ. Wherever he goes, you go. You've been made alive with Christ. We're going to say you've been seated with Christ. Wherever he goes, you go. Whatever happens to him, happens to you. It's called union with Christ. You're alive. And because you're alive in him, you're alive to the things of him. His word. Can you ever imagine back in your day, before you came to Christ, ever sitting through a service this long? No. <laughs> Sarah? You're like, I'm having a hard time now. <laughs> but you're alive to God, to his word. You're alive to prayer. Y'all heard my little saying earlier? No hype, just depth. You want that because the Spirit has worked in you to want that in varying degrees. Some of you are more on fire than others. That's okay. We're all works in progress. It's okay. Let me speed up. Number two. As mentioned just a minute ago, he not only made us alive with him, but he raised us up with him. We've been made alive and we've been raised. So you were, you were dead to God, but alive to the world. But now you are alive to God and dead to the world. Or at least in the process of dying to the, sin th the simple things of this world. But you've been raised with him. In the same spirit that raised Christ dwells in us. And so Paul says it this way. In a, let's go to Colossians 3. Look at two verses. Here's what he says. One and two. If then you have been raised. Have you been raised? Yes. He, he says, then seek the things that are where? Above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Verse two. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are what? Yeah, you see that? So this is not just some big deep theological thing that we talk about, like some big abstract truth, like Jesus is seated there and like we're, you're seated here. <laughs> you know, what does that mean? Paul says, if you've been raised, if you are seated with him, then that should have a transforming effect on the way that you, you, you live and the way you see yourself and the world. He says here, set your mind where? Where? Verse 2, on things that are where? Come on, y'all. 
In a sanctified way, we are called to live the higher life with our minds set on things there, not dominated by things down here, both good and bad, especially not the bad, but even the good. So we just moved into a new house. It's awesome. Praise God. But in light of eternity, so what? It's all just kindling for the day of judgment. Everything in this world, it's, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. It's gone. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So we don't hate good things. We thank God for good things, but we don't live for those things because we've been raised higher, right? And we're called to have a higher perspective. We think differently. We process differently. We have higher hopes, don't we? Don't get bogged down, at least too bogged down by the things of this world. If you're too bogged down by the things of this world, it's because your mind is glued in to the things of this world. You're stuck there. You got to get higher and see it from God's perspective. We're called to have a higher perspective, higher hopes. I just preached two Fridays ago, right here, a dear woman, Miss Julie, who passed away. She had me over to her house. She was 75. And she more or less said, well, if you're going to do my funeral, I need to get to know you. <laughs> Went over to her house and got to know her. She told me all her life story, and it was amazing. Uh, several, uh, th I guess three, what, three or four Sundays, I can't keep up, ago, we, we had the second service here, went to like two o'clock. Y'all remember that one? Yeah. This one won't go that far first time, guess. But it went long, and then Carson was here with me, and so Carson was hungry, he said, Dad, I want to go to Chipotle. So I took him to Chipotle, got him some food, and then I had gotten the text about Miss Julie. Miss Julie was, was, was passing, wasn't there yet, but then oh, I got the text, I said, Carson, you're going with me? Left Chipotle, went to Miss Julie's, sat beside her, held her hand as she was getting ready to pass into glory. Yeah. And y'all, I thank God for all the young people in here. But listen, listen to me, y'all. We must never forget the elderly. Yeah. I promise you, I will never forget the elderly. You know who you are. <laughs> I held her hand. And as I, I prayed for her, I said, Miss Julie, you're a blessing. I love you so much. Kissed her on the forehead. And I said, what do you feel? She says, I feel peace. And she could barely breathe. She had oxygen up her nose. But, but I feel peace. And I prayed for her. And she passed into the presence of the Lord days later. And she passed as a woman who knew her God. And the look on her face was like, death, you bring it on. <laughs> Because my Jesus has overcome you. She lived that way and she died that way. She had her mind set on her ultimate destination. And so should you, no matter how young or how old you are. We've been raised. Therefore, you're, you're to have a higher perspective. Higher hopes. I got high, high, high high hopes. They're so high, they're up in heaven. High, high hopes. You say, how high? Number three, we're done. My hopes and my expectations are so high that they are right beside God the Father in heavenly places, all in the person of Jesus Christ, who died, yes, but rose from death on the third day, and he ascended to that place, and he will rule, and he will reign in that place. And Paul says that you and me, if we're in him, we are seated there with him. 
That's how high my hopes are. And let me help y'all. It doesn't get any higher than that. Raised, you're raised. But if you're in Christ, you're seated at Midtown. I'm really glad you're here. But ultimately, you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Let me bring all this together. Far above the air. Far above the prince of the power of the air. You, with Christ, are high above it all. You say, you're like, but I'm, but I'm here, I'm not there. That's the tension. We're here, but we're there. All the satanic, demonic power of this world is under Jesus' feet. And Paul says in Romans 16, 20, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under yours. <laughs> Boy, you better say amen to that, y'all. If that don't light your fire, your wood is so wet, I can't help you. <laughs> and it's under yours because, or at least it will because it's under his. And having this position with him does not mean you're exempt from evil influence in this world, clearly. But it does mean that you have power and authority over it. Which means that some of y'all better make up your mind to stop living with and sitting in that sin And in that darkness that you've been sitting in for so long. Some of you have settled. I'm going to sit in this sin. I'm going to sit in this. I'm just, and we have just almost learned, however, that this is just the way that it is. And we've let not only our own sinful desires take over, but the demonic realm has all but run over some of y'all because you've let it. Paul said, I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of his power. Exerted in Christ to raise him, to seat him, that same power is at work in you. Which means that you don't have to put up with a lot of that stuff any longer. You don't have to let the devil run through your mind, hijack your thoughts, take authority over your marriage. Some of us, we just, look, here, Satan, come right on in. And I'm like, bro, get your... I am owned, and you're owned and operated by Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the only one who can dwell here is the one who died for me, Jesus, by his spirit. Jesus, the Father, through the spirit, lived within us. 
And there, there comes that time, and I'm not trying to make all y'all into charismatics, but you got to stand up. Like, I'm not saying do it now, but you just got to get mad at the devil and maybe even a little frustrated with yourself and say, I've put up with this for so long. The evil, the temptation, like it's, it's there, but you got to get upset. And you got to get passionate, and you got to get out the word of God, and you can say, no, 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 no. Devil, you are not going to have authority in my life. In the name of Jesus, I am owned and operated by my creator. I'm no longer, you're no longer a son of disobedience. You no longer walk in the course of this world, do you? You shouldn't because you have been raised You've been made alive and you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And God, by his spirit, would say today, live like it. Amen. Live like it.